0: Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. We took a short break in June to prepare for and attend the sleep meeting. If you missed it, you can still register and watch all of the sessions on demand through November 30th. Go to sleepmeeting.org to check it out. One of the hot topics at sleep was a CPAP technology assessment draft report released by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. The report was pretty shocking to the sleep medicine community, and the AASM organized a detailed response. That effort was led by today's guest, Dr. Sushil Patil. Dr. Patil is clinical director at the Johns Hopkins Pulmonary Sleep Medicine Program, program director for the Sleep Medicine Fellowship, and an assistant professor of medicine. He was the lead author of the AASM Clinical Practice Guideline on the Use of Positive Airway Pressure Therapy to Treat Obstructive Sleep Apnea in Adults. And he probably knows this AHRQ report better than anyone. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Patil.
1: Thank you, Dr. Kosla. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So by now, most of the sleep field is probably aware of the AHRQ report, but most of us haven't read all 155 pages so tell me how did this report come about
1: yeah that's a great question uh, dr koslas so you know the full details are are still not clear but what we do know is that this report was requested by the center for medicare and medicaid services or cms we don't know if this was requested as part of a periodic review to look at the literature or if there was a specific intent to look at certain policies that might be affected through cms Um, but they certainly had key questions in mind uh, and so those two key questions that they wanted to have addressed was what is the efficacy effectiveness comparative effectiveness and harms of CPAP devices to improve clinically significant outcomes? And then the second key question that they wanted to have answered is, what's the evidence that apnea and hypopnea based measures of sleep disordered breathing that are currently used in practice and research are valid surrogate or intermediate measures for clinically significant outcomes? So AHRQ, which does the evidence-based research for most of the healthcare agencies, then uh, put out a request for proposals. And there was an evidence practice center that responded to that and was given the commission to uh, do this research and analysis and then drafted the report that was uh, submitted to the community for, for comment.
0: So the conclusion, though, of this report was kind of surprising. Can you tell us what the report said?
1: Their fundamental conclusion was that there appeared to be no clinically significant outcomes that were improved with CPAP. And in particular, the outcomes that they looked at uh, included outcomes such as hypertension, cardiovascular outcomes, stroke. They looked at quality of life indexes. But what was rather surprising was that they didn't look at things that we know are significantly improve with with treatment, which are sleep, for instance. The other other question that they asked about whether the AHI or or measures of sleep disorder breathing are valid surrogate or intermediate outcomes, uh, they there again included that it did not appear from their analysis that the AHI was necessarily a valid Outcome where there wasn't sufficient evidence to make that conclusion, and that more research uh, was needed.
0: So, what was what was your reaction? You know, yeah. we see every day how, and not all patients, obviously, right? But how so many patients do benefit from CPAP, and you know, just sharing what my friends and colleagues had. I think there's just this overwhelming frustration with the this the conclusions of this report. What was your take initially?
1: Yeah, no. Uh, so my first reaction was, you know, they must have missed something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because you know we're we're obviously worried about sleepiness. Is sort of the, the the most important outcome, um, and we we know, you know, from our own experiences of taking care of patients that patients' uh, 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 sleep quality, their quality of life, and their alertness, you know, substantially improve, and so. And we know there are publications that 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 support that. And so it was it was uh, you know a little bit puzzling at first glance in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, the response. You know on, on the other hand, you know it it wasn't surprising too, and perhaps you know some may take issue with what 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 I say here. But you know when we look at uh, the cardiovascular outcome literature to date, we we know that the research has been mixed. And so, you know, AHRQ in reviewing that information came to a similar conclusion uh, to what we had done when we looked at uh, treatment outcomes with, with CPAP when we did the uh, clinical practice guideline for, for the academy.
0: Well, it's funny. One of my colleagues, when we were talking about this, and this is a, you know, a senior colleague, and he brought up that this is almost an indictment of our research. And do we need to then make that more of a priority? And do we need to do a better job looking at those specific outcomes?
1: Right. No, and and I think that's a that's a great point uh, that that, that's being made. And, um, you know, it's something that, you know, the sleep community needs to needs to grapple with and and, and work with. Um, You know, what. Many of us on the writing committee, when we wrote the response, it it reminded us in particular of a meta-analysis that was published uh, uh, years ago by by Wright et al. in in Britain, where at that time, uh, basically, they concluded that treatment of sleep apnea uh, resulted in in no significant improvements, particularly with sleepiness. And at that time, to be fair, we didn't have very good uh, studies that were done. Most were small studies. There were not very many clinical trials. But what that report did was it did spur the community to uh, relook at what research had been done and to prioritize and use rigorous methodology to really uh, uh, approach this and uh, do the studies that were, that were needed. Um, and I think we may be at a similar parallel here.
0: And I agree with you. You know, I think that that's a really important point that the data that we have was encouraged and and, and, and spurred on by something like that previous report. And maybe instead of this being doom and gloom, maybe this will encourage our sleep research colleagues and and other research-based clinicians to maybe do more with the data and do more research that then is more meaningful. Like, the the study you quoted didn't show any improvement in sleepiness but since that time we have demonstrated improvement in sleepiness
1: exactly exactly you know and you know it's still to be answered whether or not sleep apnea you know fundamentally does impact other comorbidities like cardiovascular disease you know we're still trying to identify what might be the right target population it's not necessarily that the clinical trials to date were necessarily done poorly and we can discuss a little bit about the, those issues if you want but they each clinical trial that's done answers a specific question well, there that's certainly exactly can it. be implementation issues but you know once you answer a question in a certain population you may then need to move on and do a clinical trial in, in a different group the, the issue of course is that these trials become expensive and so ideally you want to be able to uh, identify maximum effect that you can and so again you know really i think you know the the research community needs to kind of come together and sort of say okay what should the research agenda be and You know, funding agencies in particular need to uh, be engaged with uh, in order to in order to understand that we think that these are the priorities and and hopefully help us with trying to get those initiatives uh, funded through the mechanisms that are available.
0: And your point is well taken, right? Sometimes it's really important to know what the right question is. Exactly. So, you know, you kind of talked about people getting together and that's a little bit what happened here. So talk to me about the efforts that it took to organize what really was an impressive multi-society response. I mean, we had CHEST, we had AAN, we had ATS, we had the Sleep Research Society, and of course, ASM. Right,
1: and you know, in in, in fact, you know, we had representatives from each of those organizations that you mentioned as as part of the writing group. But, you know, ultimately the, the, the letter and response that was written you know, was endorsed by almost twenty organizations, uh, and this these organizations were, were international in scope. You know, not just based in the in the U.S. Um, and there were also state societies uh, that participated or signed on to the response, as well as uh, patient societies as well. And and that's a critical that's a critical uh, uh, message or point to make, which is that you know this is not just uh, the sleep. Research community or the sleep clinical community, uh, working with uh, federal agencies, but it also does need uh, patient organizations to be involved in terms of helping set the re- research agenda.
0: Well, that's such a valuable point, isn't it? You know, even the FDA, I think, over the last few years has been seeking input from patients. You know, what metrics are important to patients? Do You remember that narcolepsy group that went to the FDA and, you know, it wasn't necessarily hypersomnolence that they were interested in. They were worried about morning fog. And so that patient perspective is so important. Exactly,
1: right. And so, you know, in the future design of clinical trials, getting that input helps to determine what are clinically appropriate outcomes, you know, and what's the best measurement of those outcomes uh, so that, you know, studies can be done to, to test that.
0: Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we talk more with Dr. Patil about the specific issues addressed in the response to the AHRQ report and what could come next. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Whether you're prepping for your sleep medicine boards or interested in the newest developments in patient care, the AASM has you covered. Join us in person in Austin, Texas for Sleep Medicine Trends and Sleep Medicine Essentials, September 10th through 12th. Get all the details and register at aasm.org/live-courses. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. I'm talking to Dr. Sushil Patil about the recent AHRQ assessment of CPAP and the AASM led response. So the response identified several key areas where the AHRQ evaluation fell short. So let's talk about some of them. So sleepiness is obviously the biggest gap in the report, right? And it wasn't considered a clinically important outcome. So how do you hope to remedy this?
1: Well, we'll have to see what what AHRQ does in the in the final report, but but certainly in the response that we wrote, we we talked about that particular issue. Um, and when you, you know, actually go through the 155-page report, <laughs> you know, to be fair, you know, AHRQ at the very end, um, you know, seemed to suggest that the issue of sleepiness and whether CPAP improves sleepiness may have been answered in a previous report that they published in in 2011. And that perhaps might've been the reason why they chose not to focus on it. However, you know, failing to uh, indicate that at different key parts of the report, we think was somewhat short-sighted and mm-hmm. had to be acknowledged because otherwise the tone that comes through when reading this report to stakeholders or other individuals that may not know as much about the area is going to be that, you know, CPAP is not effective in improving any outcomes for for patients. And and that would be a bad thing for for that message to be conveyed. Um, And so in our response, we we tried to feature that point. Um, We also reviewed some of the literature and tried to provide some data to demonstrate that, in fact, sleep, has been shown uh, to be uh, significantly improved with, with CPAP therapy. And the hope is that uh, uh, AHRQ will, will modify the report and change at least the tone of the report to acknowledge
0: that. So is that why motor vehicle crashes weren't in there?
1: So, you know, that's it's a great question. You know, They did look at it as an outcome. Uh, You know, however, you know, the... What they looked at it was it was in a very limited limited way. It wasn't obviously their the, one of their primary outcomes they were they were interested in, and so they looked at studies that either had uh, one year outcomes uh, for certain outcomes, uh, particularly cardiovascular outcomes or resolution of hypertension or development of hypertension, uh, and then for other outcomes that might affect quality of life, they accepted uh, studies that uh, looked at uh, six month timeframes. And so, you know, based on, on that, then they had very limited studies that were available in terms of looking at that, the long-term outcomes. And I think, you know, one of the other limitations of their analysis with respect to motor vehicle crashes was, you know, the studies that were, that were pulled uh, and reported on, this was not the intention of those studies to, to examine this. So these were, these were secondary outcomes, if you, if you will. And, you know, the other thing too is, is that, You know, we can't randomize people for years and years necessarily. And so to ignore, you know, short-term data uh, where it's potentially viable to show differences in motor vehicle crashes, you know, shouldn't be done. And all of the data should be looked at given how significant motor vehicle crashes are.
0: That's a really good point. You can't randomize people forever. (laughs) So, you know, the uh, when they talked about the AHI as this intermediate outcome and they thought that it had this potential, that it, it had potential limitations. So what does that mean for us clinically then when we kind of rely on that AHI uh, as a measurement of effective therapy?
1: So, you know, I, I think fundamentally the, the, the issue is, is that, you know, we as a field have not Done much to necessarily validate the AHI as a as as a surrogate outcome here, um, and so when the HRQ report performed its analysis, they had rather limited data to begin with, and they did the best they could with what they had, and they were unable to make any you know conclusive statements about whether or not. You know, AHI was was a reasonable reasonable surrogate. They outline you know a number of potential approaches that could be implemented uh, in order to examine this. But you know, one one wants to know that if I treat uh, the AHI for three to six months, does that mean that? sleepiness is certainly going to improve. Mm-hmm. So can we show that a co- there's a correlation in reduction of AHI with the correlation with the reduction in, in sleepiness symptoms? Or if there's a correlation reduction in AHI, do we see a correlation reduction in cardiovascular outcomes? And we as a field have not necessarily uh, published on that on that specifically. And so I think, you know, that's one of the things that, that we do need to do. Um, you know, but above and beyond that, you know, many of us recognize that the AHI is a rather simple tool, mm-hmm. and that there's a lot more information that's embedded within the sleep studies we often have patients uh, uh, go through, and we need to use that information. And perhaps there are other measurements uh, that should be looked at, uh, either separately or in combination with the AHI, that may correlate with outcomes and even predict, uh, you know, whether they're going to uh, uh, respond to treatment.
0: So, in your comment letter, they you also asked the h r q to add a section on future research. So, what are you hoping that this will address? Is this the, the sort of the wealth of information polysomnography and other metrics? So yeah, you, so this report, you know, fundamentally,
1: with it coming out, you know you know, besides their concerns with how they looked at sleepiness, you know, the conclusions with respect to cardiovascular outcomes—I I don't think would be surprising to, to any of us uh, who who've been reading the literature. Uh, we we know that you know RCTs, you know, for instance, don't show uh, uh, a positive effect, but we do know that uh, cohort studies or non-randomized control studies appear to to show a benefit here. And so, what we really wanted AHRQ to do when they look at this report and before they publish it is really to allow us to use the report as a platform to say, well, what is the path forward uh, from this point? And so, you know, having a section dedicated on, on future research and expanding it slightly beyond what they discussed in the draft report would help the field. Um, and so there were a number of items that we tried to outline uh, that we thought they should think about.
0: So I'm I'm wondering if you maybe have an in, or if you're good with your crystal ball. I mean, have you heard anything from AHRQ since sending the response, or do you have any sense of what CMS might do with the report?
1: Yeah, so 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 no, we don't know exactly what's going to happen <laughs> at this point in time, and we'll have to see see what happens. Um, you know, the the academy did arrange a conversation with uh with the AHRQ to discuss our response and and just to give a little bit more context uh, uh, to the letter that was uh, sent to them. Um, you know, the message we received is that they've received a number of comments uh, that were of a similar nature. And, you know, they are looking at ways to potentially revise the tone. But, you know, they also thought that much of the analysis they performed was, uh, was, was correct. Um, hmm. And so, you know, well, we'll see. Hopefully, certain things change in terms of tone, perhaps. Um, you know, fundamentally, the findings are not going to change otherwise, and so that's just something we have to be prepared for as a community. And again, really, it's important that you know all the societies, you know, both here in the U.S. and internationally, really need to be able to help set the research agenda and keep it front and in the in the coming years.
0: So help me understand this whole process. I mean, is this something typical of other fields too? I mean, does does CMS ask the, you know, this group to go into cardiology and look at the benefit of stent? You know, is this applicable to other fields as well?
1: So certainly there's going to be periodic technology assessments uh, that are done and, and asked for by by CMS and AHRQ will, will perform those uh, uh technology assessments. So so it's no it's no different uh in, in that sense, you know. Uh, you know, however, you know, what does make things I think a little bit challenging or makes sleep perhaps maybe a little bit different uh compared to these other areas is that you know, we're still, if you will, I think, in the early stages of, of performing these, these these clinical trials that that need to be done, and we need to develop different approaches to answering the questions. And we have our own sort of unique issues. You know, for instance, you know, like you pointed out earlier, we can't randomize, you know, people for. Long periods of time, because uh, you know, for instance, those that are particularly sleepy, we can't randomize them for long periods of time because that would be un- unethical. Now, that may change now with the body of you know clinical trials that have been done. They've been negative to date. There hasn't been shown that there's a. a, a an increase in accidents or, or injuries in the context of some of these clinical trials, so maybe there's more equipoise amongst the field in terms of doing clinical trials, even in sleepy patients whom we think might be, you know, more at risk, and we can maybe perform the clinical trials in, in those group if if the if the community, the government, and patients are in, in equipoise. Um, so you know, I, I think you know certainly we have unique things that are unique to our field, uh, you know, but, you know, other fields also have to wrestle with this as well.
0: So, Cecile, what what can we as a sleep community do to better research the benefits of CPAP?
1: So, great question. And, and I think, you know, part of this is continuing a, the discussion about what what needs to be done? So, you know, for example, as part of the sleep meetings, uh, we had a, a forum that was uh, open to everyone to come and participate. As part of a webinar, where we had a panel discussion about uh, what types of approaches we can look at for 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 research. Uh, it may be necessary now for, for the different societies to, to come together and perhaps think about a, a document uh, where we start to prioritize, you know, what are the types of studies that, that should be done. And a document like that may be beneficial even to the NIH and other funding agencies around the world in terms of saying, you know, this seems like these are the priorities within the community, these seem like reasonable questions that need to be answered and this is where we want to put the resources we have have available you know the sleep community needs to continue to engage i think with 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 patient groups and and patient groups need to you know you know talk with the federal agencies in terms of uh, pointing out how important the benefits of uh, treating sleep apnea are to them and that research needs to be continued in terms of showing how it might be beneficial in in other ways potentially so you know these are these are some different things that 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 can be done and hopefully that'll happen in in the next year
0: that panel discussion was super helpful and if anyone missed it you can always catch it on the APSS youtube channel You know, I really love this idea of different groups getting together. I mean, recently, we're we're all scrambling a little bit dealing with this big Phillips recall. And what I've really, really appreciated is the willingness of different groups to communicate and share information. You know, we had an algorithm from the Mayo Clinic. I have one from Cleveland Clinic. And everybody is just being very transparent. It reminds me of early COVID when everybody worked together to solve one problem. And so maybe this is a little bit of a call to action with our, our colleagues that maybe we all need to work together better to answer this question about CPAP.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So it's gonna take uh, everybody to get on board and and uh, really communicate the, the message uh, that this is important, that sleep is important. Uh, that poor sleep affects other uh, parts of our lives and our quality of lives, and it really does merit uh, a focus and putting in research dollars in order to answer the questions so that we can improve you know the quality of life of of the patients we take care of.
0: So what is your take home message for your colleagues about this report and its potential implications? yeah, so so I think maybe
1: number one is you know don't 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 panic. Uh, you know, if you do go back and you read the report, uh, you know, you you, uh, you your temperature may may rise a little bit. Um, you know, hopefully that message has been heard by HRQ. The official report that comes out will 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 be a little bit different in in terms of acknowledges what we do know about the effects of CPAP and improving certain clinical outcomes. Um, you know, I think the other message is that look, you know, there's a lot more work to be done and you would all love to have a, a positive uh, a clinical trial. And you know, the ones that have been done to date have answered specific questions. There's some lessons to be learned from how those clinical trials were were done. And what we need to do is to come up with uh, what what those questions are, what the planning should be preparing for the next large clinical trial uh, that's going to be done in this space. Um, and so, Everybody really just needs to needs to you know you know roll up their sleeves, um, and and help in any way they can, whether it's at the public policy level, uh just continue to take care of of patients as they do and and uh, really to advocate uh, uh, for for the field in terms of focusing on these outcomes and uh, continuing the research in this area.
0: Well, Cecile, thank you for leading this effort and for continuing to advocate for CPAP as an effective treatment for obstructive sleep apnea as well as all the work and research we need to continue to do to demonstrate that success.
1: My pleasure, and thanks for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at AASM.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.